Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Happy Mother's Day to my wife, who is a superhero, who is the strongest lady that I know, and who I could not have dreamed up a better mom to our kids. Aaron, baby, I love you. Happy Mother's Day. And l- let me just tell you how much she has to put up with. This morning as I was leaving, now, now listen, I thought I'd done Mother's Day perfectly. I had cooked her a big old meal and brought it to her in bed as she woke up, and I cooked it for the girls as well so they could, you know, eat this morning, eat breakfast in bed. And, man, I, I had a butt that I put on last night, a big old Boston butt that's going to be cooked and ready this evening for a Mother's Day meal. Man, everything was going perfect. I left my home this morning to come preach here, but I remembered I had to put just a few more chips in the smoker. And so I hopped out of my truck, which I had already started, went to do that. And when I looked around for my truck, my truck was nowhere to be found. I had left it in reverse when I had gotten out to reload the wood chips in my smoker. And the next thing I know is I turn around to look for my truck, and it's in my neighbor's yard up against my neighbor's house, right? And so I run in and say, Aaron, listen, I just, I just broke our neighbor's house. I just crashed my truck into their home. you got to come out here and see this. It's unbelievable. And she went out there with me, and, and we talked with our neighbors. Thank God everything and everybody's okay. And on her way back, she just looked at me and kind of laughed and said, what am I going to do with you, right? So she puts up with a lot, and she's a great mom. To my mother-in-law, Dana, man, I sure do love you so much, and I'm so grateful for you and uh, that God has has brought us together. So thankful for my mother-in-law. Hey, by the way, I know I'm your favorite in-law too, so let's just, we'll keep that between us. Sorry, Ivanka, but I know I'm your favorite. But happy Mother's Day to the moms in my life, and happy Mother's Day to all moms out there. You ready? You are the real superheroes of this world, second only to Jesus, and we are so thankful for you. And I want to say a quick word. There's many of you who are missing mom today. Or maybe you're a mom who's missing a child today. I just want you to know that as we rejoice with those who rejoice here on this Mother's Day, we weep with you. Part of our heart hurts with your heart. And it's our prayers that today, and especially this day, that your heart, that your mind would be filled with wonderful memories Today, as you celebrate mom, as you celebrate your kids, and that God will grant you even more grace today. Let's pray and let's thank the Lord for our moms. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we just want to say, simply put, thank you for mom. And I thank you for the blessing my mom has been, the good and godly mom that she is today. I want to thank you for my wife, my mother-in-law, Father, the good and godly moms that they are. And they just represent so many more moms in our church family, in our community. And Lord, we just wanted to stop and give special thanks today for the blessing, for the joy, for the grace, for the favor that is mom in our life. Father, we love you. Bless this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Connect Church, let me ask you this. What does a glass of water, 
a $20 bill, a piece of pottery, some fruit, and a faucet have in common. Hey, listen, we're fixing to find out as we dive into the New Testament together this morning. Take your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 1. We continue in our study. Philippians, you ready? The happiest book of the Bible, the book of joy as it is called, was written by Paul. Now, now listen, understand his circumstance. You ready? He was in chain, in prison. He was under house arrest in Rome. And he's writing to a church that he planted, a people he loved, a body of believers that were a source of great joy to Paul. And as the pastor of Connect Church, I know exactly how he feels. So let's recap just a little bit. As we talked in week one, for Paul, for the Philippians, joy was a person they knew. Who was that person? Jesus. Joy was a decision they made. What was that decision? To follow Jesus. We find this, that their joy was not confined to their circumstances. And last week, as we begin to have this conversation of joy, we talked about joy being found, not by being the center of attention, but by Jesus being the very center of our joy, right? Our joy in Jesus comes by being servants of and slaves to Christ. We talked about last week how to spell joy right. First is J, that stands for Jesus. Second is O, that stands for others. And we are exactly where we need to be in that equation. And that is third, Y, yourself. you got to spell joy right. We were reminded last week that we are not alone in this joy journey. We are in this together, and God is not done with you yet. He's not done with me yet. And what we're beginning to see in this incredible letter in the New Testament by the name of Philippians, we are beginning to see glimpses of joy that far outlasts and is far more satisfying than the emotion, than the feeling of of happy. But I must confess, and it's important to know, that when Jesus is at the center of my joy, I am the happiest that I can be in this life. Today, we're going to see that uh, alongside of and partnered with the theme of joy in this letter comes this. You ready? The living out of that joy in what we call Christ-likeness. Living out of that joy in christ like. Meaning this, that Jesus not only lives in us by faith, but he desire and he is working to live through us. Today we find a prayer that Paul writes for the Philippians. And I love this prayer because it sounds like a prayer that that my mama's prayed over me. It sounds like a prayer that, that my wife prays over our children. And we find this incredible prayer. And hey mama, just real quick. Keep praying over your kids, no matter how old they are. But now let's dive in together. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse number 9. And I'm just reminded, oh, the power of a praying mom. And it reads like this, you ready? And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, Paul says, to the glory and to the praise of God. You know what it doesn't say? And this is my prayer, that you fill the pews, that you entertain the masses, that you bring in millions. 
Remember this. The goal of the church is not to just fill seats, but to make disciples. It's not to boast about how many attenders we have, but to build an army of believers who are ready to fight against the kingdom of darkness. Listen, the goal of the church is not to entertain the masses, but to engage people in the mission that Christ has set out for us. The end goal of the church is not how much money it collects, but how many maturing believers it sends. And this is reflected in this little prayer here in Philippians chapter 1. So let's dive in together. Watch the opening part of this prayer. That love may abound more and more in knowledge, in depth, of insight. Isn't it interesting that while Paul is writing bound in chains, he points to the love that we have in Christ and for Christ and for one another that should be bound by absolutely nothing. Here's the word picture. You ready? And I'm going to have our camera follow us. You ready? The phrasing abounding more and more means this, an overflowing, if you will, a never-ending flood. To abound more and more paints the picture in our minds of waterfalls. My family and I drove out towards Cades Cove yesterday. What a beautiful time. And I just love that section of highway where you can see many waterfalls in the great smoky mountains. That's the picture, that phrasing abound more and more paints in our mind. It also paints this kind of picture, you ready? Of a cup and a pitcher of water being poured into that cup and it just overflows and it never stops overflowing. That is the phraseology, that is the words that Paul uses to describe this love. Here's what Paul is saying, you ready? This is how our love should be. This is the love that we've experienced from God, and this is the love that we should show one another. It should so overflow, overwhelm, overcome us so much that it spills into the lives of those around us. And hey, real quick, thanks, Mom, for loving us just like that. Thank you for loving us that way, showing us what that type of love is. A love that should abound more and more. So what type of love is Paul speaking of? Well, there is a love, and listen, i got to show you this up on the screen, okay? It is a love that has been lavished on us. Remember this in 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the very children of God. Lavished love is found in Jesus, his cross, his resurrection, the gospel. But it's also a love that is to be lived out. A love that is to be lived out. Watch this in Luke chapter 10, verse 27. And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. And watch this, love your neighbor as yourself. If you're going to love God with everything, you're going to love what God loves most, and that is people. You ready? Love is a verb that is meant to be lived out, not kept in. What type of love is Paul referring to? It is a love that leads to joy. Watch this conversation with Jesus in John chapter 15, verse 9 and verses 11 through 12. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, Jesus said, so remain in my love. Verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy, Jesus says, may be in you and that your joy might be missing just a little. No, no, listen, that your joy may be complete. My command is this, 
love each other as I have loved you. You see, loving God, loving others, making disciples leads to joy for every believer. And Paul would say this in his prayer, that this type of love is to abound more and more in what? In knowledge and in insight. In knowledge and in insight. You see, knowledge comes from the Word of God, the wisdom of God, and the worship of God. And insight is gained in living out the worship of God, the wisdom of God, and the very Word of God. You see, it's as James teaches us in James chapter 1, verse 22, that we're not just to be hearers of the Word of God, but to be doers as well of the very Word of God. And so here's the end goal of that. You ready? This love that is abounding more and more in knowledge and, and insight is so that you may be able to discern. Now catch that word, discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That word discern is a fun word in the Greek language, the language of Jesus, the language of the New Testament. It was a word used for the testing of money for counterfeits, to make sure that the money, that the metal was real, it was genuine, and it was not fake. Now today, that may look a little different than it did back then, but maybe y'all have been like this, okay? I borrowed a couple $20 bills from Pastor Justin. Uh, he, he's rich, so if you need to borrow money, just go to him. But anyway, listen, let's say you show up to the Dollar Tree. You got $20. That means you can buy the whole store, right? You break out a $20 bill or maybe a $100 bill, and every so often they'll come out with a pen, and they'll put just a little bit of an X here. And what they're looking for is to make sure this is not some kind of fake $20 bill or a $100 bill, and if the ink remains a light in color, man, it's real. But if it turns dark, you're in trouble. I don't know about you, but I always feel so guilty. <laughs> Every time somebody breaks out the pen, I, I know it's probably company policy and procedure, but all the time I'm kind of like, do you suspect something of me? <laughs> like, do, do you sense something about me that I may have a printing press back in my garage at home and I'm just throwing out... $20 bills. Now, hey, listen, it's company policy to make sure the money that you give is not counterfeit. It is, it is real. Now, what Paul is praying for, this knowledge, this insight, he's praying that way so that we can see what God, what is of God, and what is not. So that we can know what is of the Father and what is of the flesh. So that we can know what is of the Spirit and what comes from a place of sin and selfishness in our life? You ready? We need God's discernment in our everyday life to choose what Paul goes on to pray, and that is this, what is best? You ready, church? Hear me. God doesn't want you to settle for what is good enough. God wants your best. It's, I love this quote. James Collins writes in his book, Good to Great. He says this, you ready? Good is the enemy of great. And that is one of the key reasons why we have so little in our lives that becomes great. Few people attain great lives in large part because it is just so easy to settle for a good life. You ready, church? What Paul is trying to challenge us is this. 
Don't let what is good enough be the enemy of God's best in your life in Jesus. And God's best is centered in the joy that is found in Jesus and living for Him, loving others, and allowing such love to abound, to overflow more and more in our life and spilling out into the lives of others. And so the question may be, hey, Anthony, then what is the best, right? And Paul says this, the best is that you and I be found pure and blameless. Now, I love this phrasing, pure and blameless here, as Paul writes. It also can mean genuine and sincere, both of which lead to a a godly character, to Christ-likeness, right? God doesn't want us to pretend, church, hear me, to be someone we're not. He wants us to be exactly who he created us to be, who he saved us to be. And that person, for each of us, looks just like Jesus, talks just like Jesus, acts just like Jesus, and lives like Jesus. I love what Max Lucado once said. He said, God loves us just the way we are, but he refuses to leave us that way. He wants us to be just like Jesus. The phrase here that Paul uses is unique, pure and blameless. It really paints a picture, and John MacArthur really does the best at playing this out. In a first century mind in the Greek, pure and blameless paints the picture of a potter who will take a a lump of clay, he'll put it to his potter wheel, and he'll begin to work and to fashion, let's say, a bowl. And when he's done and he's put just enough work into that piece of clay, he'll take that bowl he has created and he'll put it in the fire. And there he'll begin to bake the piece of pottery. Well, as happened so many times, oftentimes clay would, would, inside of it in some place, would have some impurities. And so the impurities really wouldn't be known until you put the piece of pottery in the fire. And when you would take it out of the fire, you would hold it up and, and there would be cracks inside the pottery and it would be, it would be useless. And so what would happen, a dishonest potter, instead of going, throwing away that useless piece of pottery, because of the money he invested in it, he would take some wax and he would fill those cracks Still a pretty worthless piece of pottery. And he would paint over those cracks. And being a dishonest potter, he was hoping he could still sell a pretty bad piece of pottery. But hey, if you and I were to head into the marketplace, and we'd been down this road before with pottery, something that you and I would do is we would take a piece of pottery in the marketplace, and we would put it up to the sun. And by doing that, the sunlight would expose the cracks. You could see the wax even through the paint. And you would have nothing to do with that piece of pottery. In fact, you would have nothing to do with that potter or buying any of his work ever again. Literally, the phrase that Paul uses here to the Philippians, pure and blameless, means this, literally, to put up to the sun. You ready? Paul wants the church, he wants believers when put up to the sun to be found pure and blameless, sincere and genuine. He wants us to be found holy, not hypocritical, real, not a reality show, not settling for good enough, but rather giving God our best. You ready, church? I want you to hear me. When our lives are put up to the sun, 
know this about God. He's not interested in hypocrisy or us hiding our sin. He wants your heart. When put up to the sun, God is not interested in us putting on a show. You ready? He wants our soul. When put up to the sun, God isn't interested in our wax, what we use to cover up our broken places. You ready? He wants our worship. Church, he wants to take your life. He wants to put it up to his son. He wants to expose the cracks and the brokenness. And he wants to make us new again through his forgiveness, his grace, through his son Jesus, the great potter who will never disappoint. Never has. And he never will. And now we look at how Paul closes out this really good prayer to the Philippians. He says this, when put to the sun, he hopes and prays that the Philippians, watch this in verse 11, will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Hey, let me ask you a question. What's your favorite fruit? Man, do you like bananas? It's a pretty good fruit. You like apples? Man, my kids love them some apples. This is the only kind of fruit-like thing we had, the house lemons. If that's your thing, it's a little weird, but that's cool too. Hey, do me a favor in the comments below. Tell me what your favorite fruit is. I want to share with you my favorite fruit. Now listen, this is a little different here. My favorite fruit a caramel apple. Listen, they are the greatest of all fruits on the planet. I don't know what type of tree I have to grow, but I'm going to tell you, if I could find a tree that would grow caramel apples, man, I'm buying a thousand of them, right? I'm selling my house, getting a piece of bread. I love caramel apples, especially those at Disney World. And they just, they know how to do a caramel apple. But this is my favorite fruit right here. And here's what Paul says when it comes to the faith of the Philippians. This prayer is that they would be filled with fruits of righteousness that come through Jesus Christ. Hey, can I, can I remind you of this? God loves fruit and not just caramel apples. He loves all types of fruit. And he's really good at growing it in our hearts and our lives through Jesus. Hey, I want to remind you what Jesus said in John 15, 5. And what an incredible passage of Scripture. I am the vine, Jesus said. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, watch this, you will bear much fruit. And he says, apart from me, hear, hear me, believer, you got to hear this. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Hey, church, you ready? We don't produce the fruit We bear it. We wear it. It is Jesus who produces it in our lives through his spirit. So what does fruit look like? Well, not necessarily what's in the bowl. But Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 spells it out. You ready? And that is this. But the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, And self-control. I love it that love and joy top the list here. The fruit happens. It begins to grow. You ready? And Paul teaches us here, when love abounds, when we're put up to the sun and we are found pure and blameless, when we don't settle for good enough, but we strive for what is best in our faith, 
And when, sinner, when Jesus is the center of your joy and mine, I ran across a preacher who told the story about Lawrence of Arabia. He once brought a group of Bedouins to London. Now, when I was in the Middle East, Bedouins could be seen along the countryside. They were nomadic and are nomadic people who travel from place to place, and they really have no permanent home, but they set up tents as they go, and they work and they live off the land. Well, Lawrence of Arabia, this pastor said, had brought in a group of Bedouins to London, and there he had put them up in a very nice hotel. One of the things that amazed the Bedouins so much was that they could go into the bathroom and they could turn on a faucet and water would begin to flow. What a miracle. What an incredible thing these faucets are. For Bedouins, they would travel for miles just to get water. And he goes on and he tells the story that when the Bedouins finally checked out of the hotel in London, that something very strange happened. That in every one of the bathrooms where they stayed, all the faucets were missing. The Bedouins took the faucets with them because they thought that as long as they had the faucet, they would be able to have water. I love that story. It's kind of funny. But you know what? I wonder if you and I kind of live that way. Hey, they didn't know that the faucets had to be connected to the water line, to the source, for them to have any use or value at all. And you know what? I wonder if a lot of us are carrying around empty faucets of joy, hoping that we can just turn it on whenever we, we need it, not knowing that joy is not something we carry with us, but our joy is found in the one who lives in us. So church, let me ask you, are you thirsty spiritually? Is your faith dry? Are you fruitless in this season of your life? Here's my challenge, you ready? Stop carrying faucets around and stay connected to the spring, the fountain of life and joy. That is Jesus. But how do we do that, you ready? By the love that we have in and for Jesus and for one another. How do we stay connected to that spring and that fountain? By letting love abound more and more. And knowledge and in depth of insight. Filled with fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And all of this, Paul prays this. To the glory of God. Through Christ Jesus. To the very glory of God. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 115.1. Not to us, Lord. Not to us, but to your name. Be the glory because of your love and your faithfulness. I love how Paul, or John Piper, expresses the chief end of man. You ready? The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him. Forever. Now listen to me. We don't have to wait till heaven to experience such joy. You ready? You can begin enjoying him forever right now. 
And before I close, you may be saying, Anthony, what are you trying to win me over on in this conversation of joy, in this prayer of joy that Paul prays? Here's the why behind what I'm trying to win you over on. You ready? When you and I make Jesus the center of our joy, you know what's amazing? We find joy in our marriage. We find joy in our parenting. We even find joy in our singleness. When Jesus is at the center of our joy, we find joy even in our relationships. We find joy in our work and our co-workers, even if we hate our job. We find joy even in times of of hardships, heartaches, and seemingly hopeless situation. Because you know what? Where your joy and my joy lies, where it lies, it matters. It matters. So, what do a, a glass, some $20 bills, and a counterfeit pen... Does a piece of pottery and some fruit? And what is a faucet? What do they remind us of? You ready? Of a love that is to abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. It reminds us that we are to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the very glory of Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.